On this episode of Life Beyond the Chariot, we are joined by me, special guest. I'm Luke Arredondo, Director of Faith Formation here at the St. Philip Institute. This is a conversation about how Catholics can engage in social media without getting drawn too far into the muddy waters. So stick around and enjoy. Welcome to Life Beyond the Chariot, a faith and family series from the St. Philip Institute. We believe we are called to not only know, but also to live the truth of the gospel within our homes, in our workplaces, and beyond. We believe we are invited to encounter Christ in the messiness of day-to-day life and to live as his disciples. Thanks for joining us again, and this week we have another special guest, continuing our series of special guests. Yeah, we've had quite a few. We've had quite a few. Um, We're joined by Dr. Luke Arredondo, the Director of Faith Formation. He's been on the show before, but how are you, Luke? I'm doing good. When you said special guests, I didn't know there were others, so you might want to ask them about including me in the same category. It might cheap in the category. So, <laughs> no, we have a lot of fun every time yeah. Luke is in the studio with us. And we were talking like a couple of weeks ago and just said, we haven't done anything together in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, one of the things that I really love about working in the diocese is that I work with really smart people, people who are much smarter <laughs> than I am and have thoughts on things and can articulate things in ways that I can't. And One of the things that we were just reflecting on is that we're in an age where there's just a lot of noise, right? Mm -hmm. And I think we're in an interesting time in the Diocese of Tyler. We can acknowledge that. And um, I think between conversations with people, but then also in the World Wide Web of the internets, um, the conversations that are happening there um, are also really loud and noisy. And there's just a lot coming at us as Catholics. And so we thought it would be good to just have a conversation about that. Luke has actually been doing a lot of research and writing on the topic as well. So Luke, where should we get started with all of this? Um, I don't know where to start in a lot of ways because uh, actually, you know, we look right now at the internet, Catholic internet or Catholic Twitter or whatever, and um, I think it can be easy to feel like this is a brand new problem um, and that it's embarrassing and gosh, you know, those early Christians would never have like fought and bickered like this. Um, but you know, that's really, I'm sure, I'm sure that's not the case. Maybe we don't have evidence of like all of it, but there is some, um, I, I have a friend who, uh, Ted, who, who's a patristics, uh, sort of got a background in patristics. And I was just, just randomly talking with him a couple of weeks ago. And he shared this story that I think is really just gives us a good sort of like, historical grounding in the fact that Catholics have had embarrassing, petty arguments um, for a long time. So St. Ambrose, right, famous preacher who really was instrumental in converting Augustine because of his of his preaching, was so, so elevated and eloquent and beautiful. Well, he was evidently uh, doing a series of homilies on Luke's gospel, and they were really well received, um, and he was writing them in Latin. Um, and St. Jerome uh, got a, co- a copy of a couple of them, and, you know, someone said, you've got to check these out. These are this, this Ambrose guy, man. What, a, what, a, what fiery sermons he's delivering on Luke's gospel. 
And Jerome's uh, looking at them, and he goes, you stinking liar. These are not your homilies. This is origin translated from Greek into Latin, and you are not getting away with this. So Jerome, out of purely out of spite, <laughs> translated all of Origen's homilies on the Gospel of Luke into Latin to demonstrate to people that Ambrose wasn't as good of a preacher as it seemed like. He was just a really good translator from Greek into Latin, but he's not the only one in that game. I can do it too. Um, and I think that that is sort of a good, like a good example that um, we've not probably ever succeeded mm -hmm. in avoiding the embarrassing vitriolic, like fights that we see, mm -hmm. but maybe, and I think this is true. We see them a little bit better and a little bit more frequently now, yeah. and it's harder for them to be erased. Yep. Yeah. Um, yep. And so it's 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 the, the church. It's a problem the church has always had, mm -hmm. uh, but now it's we're experiencing it differently. Yeah. You know. And we're also being exposed to arguments that, honestly, probably most of us up until the internet didn't even know that these were arguments but now mm. that there's become division and people on both sides or whatever the case is now i think um maybe just the regular layperson is now all of this information they're like well i don't know what to do with this so when they go digging to try to find clarity mm -hmm. it just gets into more confusion sometimes mm -hmm. maybe they find clarity yeah but i think because of that that's right things are being introduced into um uh into our life that probably back then they never would have been oh, exposed sure. to, right. you know? Right. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you could. You don't even have to go very far back in time to, to see the way that those sorts of arguments or that sort of pettiness, even though it was there, you know, it wasn't like the dominant experience that people had. I mean, think early 1900s, some old woman who's going to church every day or, or just maybe even if it's just on Sundays, right? She probably couldn't, couldn't have identified the Pope in a lineup of potential figures, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, oh, that old guy in the goofy <laughs> outfit. Like, I don't, I don't know. Right? Yeah. Um, and she certainly wasn't hearing. Did you hear what the Pope said today? Whether it was good or bad, she right. wasn't hearing it. Right. You know, yeah. she's just totally unaware. Um, it, and today, I think we have that same. It's really interesting. My experience with with you know working with parishes and catechists and stuff has been that there are still a group of people who are just, they just don't know about yeah. all of the ugliness and pettiness yeah. that goes on. And I kind of, I kind of um, wish that I had that sort of innocence that like I didn't know that there was all this fighting. Um, and then there are other people who start out that way or they're just curious, they want to become Catholic and maybe they convert and whatever. And then they think, okay, well now that I've done this, I got to get serious and I'm going to make it my whole life, which is like good. But their impulse is like, well, I mean, who do I follow on YouTube? Who yeah. do I follow on Twitter? Yeah. And that can lead them in really weird directions, depending on, honestly, what an algorithm wants to throw at them. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, you like hunting uh, and you're interested in the carnivore diet. So you probably want this Catholic influencer stuff because he sort of aligns with that audience. So no, that I know like who you're talking about. And no that's going to, that's going to take you one direction. Uh, whereas if you know, you had an interest in architecture and classical music, and then you start looking up Catholicism it might send you an entirely different track, exactly. yeah. you know? Um, yeah. so it's, it's really weird. And, and I've talked with priests who have said that they had parishioners who were like daily mass goers mm -hmm. 
who were trying on purpose to get more serious about their faith. They were going to confession. They were going to adoration. They were doing like everything at the parish. Mm -hmm. And they basically were like, well, I got to find somewhere else, some, some more things to do. So they go to the internet and they got hooked up with certain podcasts and it actually, instead of helping them become deeper disciples, uh, it made them more anxious and nervous and, and angry about the state of the church. And they wound up leaving the parish mm-hmm. and joining an SSPX chapel and telling that pastor, like, you have departed from the true faith mm-hmm. and, like, you're damaging people. Mm-hmm. And he's like, boy, okay. Yeah. The Internet's powerful. Yeah. Um, so it's... In in some ways, it's certainly a unique problem, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not like we've n- got no experience of anything like this. But there's this the technology, um, which is ultimately you know driven by algorithms and driven by making somebody some money somewhere. Right. Really makes it harder to just sort of kind of find your way. Right. You know, I mean, when you were like getting serious about your faith, whenever that was in your life, when you mm-hmm. got more serious in college or whatever, you you. I imagine you've never really talked to me, to me about this, but probably got some recommendations from some people you knew on maybe a couple of books to start with, mm-hmm. right? And you and you you knew someone who was invested in your growth as a disciple, and they kind of gave you suggestions and mm-hmm. a, a road to follow, right? That's awesome, mm-hmm. and you could find that on the internet, or you could find like, oh wait, we haven't had a pope in like eighty years. So get out while you still can. <laughs> yeah. And both of yeah. those are possibilities. So yeah. it's really, it's scary in that way. And there's yeah. a lot of different places that we can go with this conversation. And I know one of the things that we wanted to talk about is like, one, you know, as Catholics, as Christians, we can't look at like our behavior on the Internet and how we participate in some of the commentary that's going on we shouldn't be acting different online than we are in the pew. Like <laughs> we don't insult people online or treat people poorly. Um, even as, as wrong as we feel they may be, it should still be keeping the person on the other side of the screen in mind. Um, the other thing that I think always comes to mind for me too is what you're saying, like how do you, how do you discern these things? Because there mm-hmm. are so many voices. There's so much more commentary and it's like, well, is it the loudest person in the room? Is it the angriest person in the room? Is it, um, you know, the person with the most followers on Twitter? Like, how, how do we discern, you know, which voices are um, are the ones that we should be listening to? I mean, ultimately, it's the voice of Jesus. Um, but how can we be better discerning at who we click the follow for, and yeah. who we're like, you know, that person doesn't lead me to love Jesus more, I actually feel angrier when, yeah. when I listen to this person. I actually think that's a good um, test right there is like the fruits. What is, mm-hmm. the, what is the fruit that this is producing in me? And whether or not what the person says is truth or false, right? Whether it's, um, it's good or not good, um, that if it's producing bad fruits in you, then my recommendation would be take a step back. Um, even if what they have to say is good content or role research, I mean, I'm not saying that, um, I would say for anything, whether it's false, whether it's, I mean, it's false, you may not want to listen to it, but if you're not quite sure if it's true, but the fruits that you're seeing in your life are not the fruits of the spirit, then, um, you actually may not be ready for that. And I, I think this is something that Mm -hmm. we have to understand too, is that sometimes when we're exposed to information, like so much of it, 
when we first hear it, especially if we, if we haven't been well-researched or well-versed in that particular topic, mm-hmm. that now when we're introduced to these things, part of it may seem to make sense and part of it leads to confusion. And so we have this sort of um, battle within ourselves, like, well, I can see this, but I don't know if I see this. Um, and maybe we were just not ready to hear that. It doesn't necessarily mean that what the person says is false, although it might be if we can't mm-hmm. discern between good and evil, right. but it might just be like our souls are not prepped for that. They're not ready to receive that word. And, um, and I think that that's something that we have to, um, that we have to discern, like what information do I actually need to understand and need to know to get to heaven, to do, to fulfill my vocation. So I think a lot of it is, yes, there's good stuff and bad stuff, but there's also stuff that we're just not ready to receive and we're grasping at trying to understand these Mm. things. And when part of it makes sense, but we don't have the clarity Mm -hmm. or the full understanding, we start grasping so that we can get that so that we can maybe explain to other people this one part that made sense and maybe this one part that didn't. So I think a lot of it too is, is we're just individually not at a place to hear that particular piece of information, right. you know, and it's hard for us to know that. And so I say just what fruit is it producing within mm. me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The idea of the uh, fruits is really good. And also that, that power of, dis- of discernment. Um, and this is something I, I've said at a lot of Deanna's marriage retreats when, when she's asked me to be part of the Q and a panel, Different context completely, but the same point applies. Like, if the only time you're trying to discern something is like, is this really the best person for me to follow on Twitter, <laughs> or or should I be listening to this podcast? But you don't have some kind of actually active prayer life, and you're not like going to confession and like actually doing that kind of work, then your discernment is going to be really lousy. You're <laughs> not going to make a good decision um, if you're only trying to discern you know, in in the moment of decision about something like that, and you don't have anything else that's prepping you for a discernment or laying any foundation, uh, you're going to follow the wrong people and you're going to get drawn into things that, uh, you know, are, are not helpful to you. But you also, Mickey, you said something really that I had never thought of, um, whether or not people are ready for it. Uh, and I was just, as you were talking, I was thinking about like my kids and what what they're ready for what information are they ready for? And this is not even like, well, there's this information out there that's really dangerous and false, and I'm like they're not ready for that yet. Even stuff that's true, maybe they're not ready for mm-hmm. it yet until they get to a certain maturity, you know, a certain baseline of like, okay, here's the foundation of the basic things that are true. Now let's add a layer of complexity onto that. And it's not mm-hmm. going to be as simple as when, you know, I was teaching you this same concept and you were six. Now, you know, you're 12 and, and it is a little bit more complex. And that's going to make it seem for just a second, like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought I already knew this. Um, this is not what you taught me. It's like, well, no, 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 it is. But like now you're seeing it deeper. And really, yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the, the plan of salvation history. Uh, a, a gradual revelation that the Lord gives to his people, um, which reaches its fullness in the incarnation. And then ever since then, we're, we're still trying to grasp at that reality. And, and mm-hmm. that's so one of the things I would think, I mean, we, we could probably come back to at the end, like some, some practical rules. But one big one for sure is if, if you're you know following a social media personality or, or a, a Catholic influencer or whatever, and they don't ever take time 
to actually talk about Revelation, and I mean like the Bible, not like some obscure private revelation that happened maybe in the 1830s in a small region of France, um, that, that's, that's a pretty big sign that mm. they're spending too much of their time on something that is not really all that helpful or not necessarily, not necessary, right? Um, and, and so if, if there's not a healthy and, and frequent like turning back to scriptures, turning back to the basics, um, then that's like, that's one, like, mm, that's a warning sign, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that's, that's something. I, I think uh, really one, one basic point that maybe we can sort of launch from now is um, the fact that there has been certainly a shift in the church's understanding of um, what, how to interact with the modern world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the role of witness hasn't changed but now we have more places where we're offering that witness or more mm-hmm. contexts where we're offering witness. Yep. So, you know, Paul VI famously said that modern man listens not so much to teachers as to witnesses. And when it does w- listen to teachers, it's because they are witnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's obviously that's very true. I, I think now in 2023, we're at a point where we can understand that even our online behavior like is a form of our witness or it's not optional or that we, we can't separate them mm-hmm. that there's there ought to be an integrity to the witness we give in our lives and it includes even the digital sphere yeah. i think in sort of our physical environments we are a little bit more discerning mm-hmm. on where we go who we listen to yeah what we take in um and so to think of being online as like is this a room that I need to go into? Is this a space where I need to be? Mm-hmm. Realizing, um, yeah, maybe you think you want to be a witness going into this one room of people oh. who <laughs> are not going going to even be receptive to, to what you want to hear. Yeah. So I, I actually think um, becoming extremely discerning on, uh, on where we go, what we do, what we choose to say, and how we choose to say it, um, totally understanding that people are all at different levels. Mm-hmm. So like as a teacher in a classroom, what I would teach to seniors, I would not use the same language or the same examples um, as I would to a fifth grader or a third grader right. or a kindergartner. Right. But that's almost how it's happening in online. Oh, right? you, have, yeah. you have all these spaces. And so you have certain people who are, are speaking um, have to realize though that their audience may be at these different levels and levels of understanding um and two as a, as a listener someone who is consuming this stuff also realizing like you know what i may be entering a 12th grade classroom and i'm not literate enough to be there so i'm just going to hold back and i think that that's important and i really don't know how much thought goes into mm-hmm. entering those spaces like why am i even coming here yeah you know um where we would ask those things. Like if I was going to go into a grocery right. store or any sort of store, I would have an idea of what I'm looking for. Um, but I think online we either just stumble into places and our yeah. curiosity gets mm-hmm. the best of us or like we're not get, discerning. They get more brave too with how 
people speak to each other Mm -hmm. and and brave isn't the right word they're not as discerning about the language that's used and sorry i cut you off no it's fine um it's not fine i'm not mad i'm not gonna go online and talk about deanna i'm live tweeting this right now (laughs) fight about it in the com box but i mean you think about the way that people have conversations Mm -hmm. in a facebook thread or a twitter thread like it's nasty and um, we would never like sit down at a table like this and talk to each other the way that you see some of the yeah. the conversations around the synod or marriage or Pope Francis or any of the things happening yeah. um, in Catholic culture right now. The way people talk to each other online is very different than sitting at the same table um, and like even backing up from uh, from what you were were saying, Mickey. It's like, do you even need to walk? into Mm. those conversations like is it Mm -hmm. even worth your time like can you be discerning about is this a waste of your time or and again like that call to is this leading you to holiness or just a real distraction and i think too like um i mean i don't i don't follow a whole lot of youtubers or instagrammers or tweeters or i don't know what they're called anyways (laughs) um but I also think, like, I know you and I talk about this a lot when we talk about our podcast. It's like, who is our audience? Mm-hmm. So I know when we make content, we're keeping our audience in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but there may be people who watch what we do who aren't, like, our intended audience. Yeah. So they, not, they may not grasp everything that we're talking about. Like, if it comes to parenthood, mm-hmm. if they're not mm-hmm. a parent or that's not even on their radar. So I think, too, even as consumers, we also need to pay attention to the people that we are watching or listening to. Are we their intended audience? Because if we aren't their intended audience, then then I'm not even in the space where I could even be open to receiving what they have to say because their message isn't for me. Now, do I think every content creator then should be like spend so much time discerning. I don't know. They should spend time discerning, <laughs> but I pray. also yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I also think like realizing like they I would say a lot of the successful ones know who their audience yeah. is. Um and they're speaking to that. And so if someone chooses to take part in that round table, but if they're not, not the intended audience, audience to know that really there's going to be point. there's going to be things that pop, probably pop up in your soul that you're like, "Whoa." Um I'm not ready for this. Well, if you're not the intended audience, most likely you're not ready you're for not, it. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't for you. So I, I think um, I think the responsibility falls on both the creators and their receivers. Yeah, and the consumer. Um, yeah. Because if I was going to go into a patristics class, like a PhD <laughs> course, and I haven't even taken like your basics 101, you know, my level of understanding mm-hmm. or even to be able to grasp what the person's trying to convey is going to be minimal. Mm-hmm. And so I think we have to be humble enough to say, that's not for me. That's not for me. Yeah. 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 Well, one of the things that I think is uh, really a big motivation for us wanted to have this conversation, do this episode, is this document from the Dicastery for Communications. Uh, it came out May 28th of this year. Uh, And, you know, nobody seems to have read it, as far as I can tell. Uh, It's called Towards Full Presence, a pastoral uh, reflection on engagement with social media. Um, And and there's, to me, there's a lot of stuff that's interesting about the document. It's only only 20 pages. It's not not that long. Um, But but two sort of really big shifts. And one is this acknowledgement that just the media in general has completely transformed in uh, the last maybe 15 years or I don't know, maybe you could push it a little bit farther back, but there's been media for a while mm-hmm. 
And now we're in a new media era, which is characterized by the conversation by by media being a conversation or a dialogue and not a monologue. And you can even see a sense of this. The Vatican every year releases a message for World Communications Day or week or something. It's one of those holidays I don't really celebrate, but they have <laughs> there's a papal document for it every year. Uh, and they changed the title, and I'm not actually sure what year. It used to be the Message for World Day of Communications, and uh, now it's the Message for the World Day or Week or whatever of Social Communications. Um, and so the the transition from media to new media, where there is not just a unidirectional monologue like me when I'm talking on y'all's podcast and I never ask you questions, but an actual <laughs> conversation where we're engaged in going back and forth um, is is really a substantive shift. And there's this really cool image um, that uh, I, I think it's from NBC that it, it, it shows St. Peter's Square after the death of John Paul II. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it's a whole, obviously, a whole lot of people and there's like, a little bit of candles, whatever, some light, and then a few. Uh, uh, then, then, then the next image is um, side by side with it, St. Peter's Square when Pope Francis was announced, mm. and the entire square is illuminated by screens from cell phones and iPads with people holding them up to take a picture of the Pope as he comes out. And I mean, Pope John Paul II died in 2005. It wasn't like that was yeah. 40 years ago. Right. You know, so from 20, 2005 to 2013, certainly within that time frame, a huge shift mm -hmm. took place. This document kind of highlights some of that, um, some of the, the implications for that, and I just want to point one of them out. Um, and this is the, it's this idea that because there's this conversation always happening, it always feels like we're missing out on something, like we've got to catch up. Um, if you've ever really taken a break from social media for whatever period, Lent, Advent, or you just got sick of it and deleted the app for a while, and then you come back, I think you we all feel like, well, what's going on? What's what's the new thing? Like, oh, is there a dress that people are arguing about, whether it's green or blue or yellow or whatever the colors are, or what's the what's the latest you know stupid dance trend that I don't understand and that I don't know the name of, but people are doing when they score touchdowns? Like, what have I missed? And a lot of like what we've missed is nothing. So that, listen to this, this quotation. This is from uh, paragraph 33 of this document. In this environment, the social media environment, our attention is not focused as we attempt to navigate this overwhelming information and social interaction network. Instead of focusing on one issue at a time, our, listen to this, our continuous partial attention rapidly passes from one topic to the other. In our always-on condition, we face the temptation to post instantly since we are psychologically or physiologically, sorry, physiologically hooked on digital stimulation, always wanting more content in endless scrolling and frustrated by any lack of updates. One significant cognitive challenge of digital culture is the loss of our ability to think deeply and purposefully. We scan the surface and remain in the shallows instead of deeply pondering realities. Staying in the shallows 
instead of going into the deep water, reminds me of John Paul II, Duke and Altum, set out into deep waters. You can't set out into deep waters if you're stuck kicking around in a kiddie pool because that's all you have the the time to focus on. I think sometimes when we're um, looking at social media or being receivers of the content that's being given to us, sometimes we do get... Um, raw video that people are just recording without any context. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we get um, a really edited, pristine version. Mm-hmm. And because we as consumers don't see what's happening on the other end, it's really easy to take things like out of context. But I actually think it's really good, um, at least for our podcast, <laughs> uh, because we know our audience is mostly moms, parents, yeah. people trying to live the practical life that they see it play out. Um, in real life, but I think that that's always an aspect that social media is just not capable of doing. It's really hard to dive into the deep waters, like to, to think that we watch something um, or we receive some content, like we have to take what we receive mm-hmm. and to actually dive into deep waters, mm-hmm. like that's where we have to, um, the consumer, um, after we take it in, like, okay, what was it about? What was true? What was not? What is beneficial? was any of it beneficial and how am I supposed to apply that? Because ultimately that's what we need to be doing as, yeah. as Christians. Like you said, like our time is something we can never get back. And what we have now, like I just heard a homily from our priest this past Sunday. He's like, time is something that we don't get back. Mm-hmm. And our time should be dedicated to our eternal destination. So mm. is what we're doing, honoring and giving glory to God? Is it um, participating in um, spiritual leisure or, or leisure that's not bad? Is it benefiting my soul? Is this, is this honoring the time that God has so graciously given me at this moment? And it takes taking that content in mm-hmm. uh, and really sort of diving into that. Um, yeah. Is this a way that I should be spending my time? And that, I think that's how we get into the deep waters is really taking that like we would any any sort of form of um, information, whether it's a book mm-hmm. or um, anything else, like now processing that information and figuring out what is it that I meant to do with this, if anything, if I meant to do anything with this information. Yeah. yeah. I think the particular challenge of social media is that it, it has this, it's going to sound like a contradiction, but uh, it, it's always there and you can't put your finger on it. Like it's mm. always around, you know, giving you this, it's, and I mean, it's technologically designed that way to give you a dopamine hit. It's, uh, algorithmically going to try and feed you stuff that it thinks you want. I reset every, know, probably once a month or, or every other month or something. I re- just wipe out my history on Facebook of videos I've watched or pages I visited or whatever. Um, and it's really interesting to watch it try and respond to oh you cleared it out we don't know what do you what do you like you like farming or something (laughs) or every it's like a complete guess um and then what i'll notice is after a a a few months a few weeks or a couple months or something it's like i'm getting an awful lot of vintage baseball videos and that's fine but it's all getting to be a little bit much let me just reset this uh and and see what what you know, I mean, it's sort of like a game, like what happens next. But it there, so it's it's always there, and you can't ever sort of identify like what good is this for me, or if something's getting annoying to you, or like causing you to have 
you know, frustrations and anger, you can't put your finger on exactly why in the same way that you could if you said, okay, I bought this book because it was, everyone was talking about it and I read it and it's terrible. And here's, look, on, on, on page 97, there is this fallacious argument followed by this spurious reasoning in chapter three. And you can dissect it because it's like a concrete thing that you can, you can flip and go back to and, and see again. And when you're watching a video or listening to a podcast, um, if something about it aggravates you, um, or an author or content producer or influencer starts to sort of give bad fruits in your life, it's real difficult to say, like, okay, on their episode from um, October 7th that uh, was the at one. the 7 yeah. minute 48 second mark, see, he said this. And then last September, he said this at you know, like you just, it's not as easy to right. do that. Mm -hmm. um, and so you just, you just are left with a sort of vague sensation of that. Like, I don't know yeah, what it is, but I, I'm, oh, I'm frustrated. Yeah. So yeah. it's always there and you can't figure out what it is that it's doing to you. Right. Mm -hmm. right. And yeah. like what we were saying at the beginning of the episode that, you know, that the things that we're consuming online, the people that we're engaging with or following, um, if they're not leading us closer to Christ, then it is a voice that needs to really be silenced. I mean, and the mute button on Facebook, chef's kiss. Oh like, yeah, the 30 and, day, and Twitter. The 30 day one. Yeah, take a 30 day I break from somebody. Day oh, it's so great. I didn't even know about and it. So, yes. <laughs> and as far you as can... I know, you can't find a list of the people you've put on your 30 day whatever. Exactly. They just disappear for a while. And then they come back and you're like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you. <laughs> but we can give them a chance. We can we give, can them, give a chance. them another chance. So it's like practicing charity there. But even, and I think, you know, maybe even particularly as moms, I think looking at Instagram and seeing like the clean, um, the clean living rooms and the perfect motherhood and how, you know, Catholicism should look within the home. I, the there can be places and spaces that lead us to deeper holiness in that and really affirm our role. There can be other spaces that, you know, may bring shame and all of that. And I think what we're trying to say is like having an awareness yeah. when we're engaging with these spaces and not, you know, mindlessly scrolling. Cause I mean, it is so tempting to just sit and swipe from video to video and you go from cat and mm -hmm. puppy videos to who knows what, um, people yelling and, you know, doing weird dances and stuff like that. But to really have that at the forefront of our mind is like, and it's a very simplistic thought, but is this leading me to holiness? And if I do feel called to engage, to evangelize, um, to recognize that that will only go so far. Mm -hmm. I know that there are people who will say like, oh, well, you know, Bishop Barron is the reason why I became Catholic because I watched yeah. all of his videos and all of that. But even there, there were people that had to get involved, like with RCIA, like it yeah. always mm -hmm. leads to a human connection. Yeah. And so, you know, in the modern age and as we're engaging online and, um, and in person, but just to think about the, is all of this leading back to community? Is it all leading back to Christ? Um, and yeah, are we, are we aware of like how God is moving through mm -hmm. all of that? Yeah, no, I think, and what I found interesting about this argument, and maybe you would have something else to say about it, because I totally understand how when it talks about like algorithms, um, you're sort of getting people in your same boat, so to mm -hmm. speak. Yeah. Um, and that may like leave the other that you're not being exposed to. Right. 
I might, I'm not trying to play devil's advocate. I kind of like that. One reason I get on social media, <laughs> well, well, not because I don't want to engage in the sure, other, sure, sure. but if I'm getting on social media, I know that my intent is not to evangelize. Like that's not why I'm doing it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. My intention is like, I follow a lot of homeschool moms because mm-hmm. I'm a homeschool mom. Um, I'm trying to get organized. So I follow some organization people there who give me mm-hmm. tips and tricks. Um, so <laughs> I like that those always come into my yeah, feed. Yeah. Right. Um, but I also understand that um, if we do, so I don't know, I'm feeling torn about this yeah. whole issue because the idea, like I go into sort of the online community because there's things in my life that I'm not an expert on that yeah, I am seeking. Yeah. So I kind of like the sameness. When there's something totally random, I'm like, <coughs> sure. wow, I don't get angry. I'm so, just like, I just swipe past it. Yeah. So, um, but I know in there it talked a little bit about mm-hmm. About that, so where where does someone fall? Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because it's um, actually this document towards full presence. Um, again, dicastery for communication, May twenty eighth, twenty twenty three. It draws a lot on Pope Francis's encyclical from I think twenty twenty one, um, Fratelli Tutti, and in Fratelli Tutti the sort of like the central feature of that is Pope Francis giving kind of a reflection on the parable of the Good Samaritan. So there's the the man on the side of the road and all these people passing him by and no one wants to care for him. And then finally the Samaritan does and takes him to an inn, gives money and says, if you need any more, when I come back, you know, I'm good for it. And he really latches on to that parable for so much of his arguments and concerns in Fratelli Tutti, which is like uh, everyone's like universal brotherhood, or I don't know what the English translation is. Um, and it's, it's Italian instead of Latin anyway, so um, whatever. It's Fratelli has to do with fraternity, with brotherhood. Uh-huh. Tutti means like all or everyone. Um, he sees that parable as a call to communion with everyone. Mm. That in some sort of fundamental way, as human persons, we are called to communion. And that's, I mean, that's a basic sort of metaphysical, you know, uh, understanding of the human person um, from a Catholic perspective, is that we don't exist as isolated individuals. Mm -hmm. We're called to communion. Now, some of those types of communion are going to take priority over others, like your family, right? You better have a better communion with your family than you do with me or Deanna. Even though you and Deanna have a great communion, you know, (laughs) you've got your own families, but it doesn't erase our responsibility and our call to be that neighbor for someone else. And, and Pope Francis says this, uh, and it also is in the document here for Telly, or uh, Towards Full Presence, (coughs) we at various times are that person on the side of the road that Mm. needs a neighbor to to come to us. At Mm. some point and in some kind of context, Maybe you haven't actually been homeless, you know, and, and bereft of all of, of all your possessions, just laying there in a ditch. But you've been in a position where you needed someone mm-hmm. because, and not even because they could give you anything, but just because you need their presence yeah. in your life, right? Yeah. And so we have a call to be that good Samaritan for others. And I think that the way that that works out on the internet is... I, it doesn't mean that like you need like I, I need to follow Katy Perry or whoever's popular. That's probably a terrible example of whoever. I don't know when she was popular, <laughs> like 2009 or something. Um, whoever's who's the. 
Taylor, Taylor Swift. Swift? Yes. Okay. Like, <laughs> I don't have a responsibility to follow Taylor Swift to sort of like, you know, to, you know, fulfill my Christian obligation. But I shouldn't isolate people that this is the way I try and do it. If I have met someone and actually gotten to know them in some reasonable way and they add me as a friend on Facebook, I will accept it even if I know this person's coming from a totally different worldview. They're agnostic, atheist, whatever, and they're gonna. Their politics are different than me. They don't even like sports. They're just interested in totally different stuff. Mm-hmm. I will accept it and try my best. It's a very small thing to occasionally just interact with them in like a pleasant and charitable nice. way. Um, I'm also like I used to have a blog and I would write about whatever's the latest thing in the news making me mad as a Catholic and I really thought like I was gonna help you know fix yeah. something it was like a hobby to write or whatever and I did it like a lot for a long time and and I thought that that was like well this Catholicism thing means something so I gotta tell people about it and explain it and so for a while that was like what my social media looked like um, and I've I've since, you know, slowly, I've kind of taken a different perspective that like, you know, what I'm, what I'm posting on Facebook, like, I don't want to draw someone into an argument. I mean, I think they know what I do for a yeah. living. Yeah. They see me, you know, taking pictures with my kids at Holy Week. They, you know, they see our Holy Week of Darkness stuff and asking people for prayers every now and then, whatever. Like, they have an awareness that if they really want something from me in those regards they can they can they can ask and every now and then i do get old students or random people that i'm really not that great of friends with they're like hey you know i I don't know who else to talk to about this Mm -hmm. like can you Mm -hmm. pray for me or give me some advice or whatever here and there um so i guess the 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 long answer to, to your question would be that um it's okay to craft like your sort of crew and your crowd and, you know, like to have some sort of boundaries about like what, what you're trying to do on social media. Um, uh, but it's also important not to just willfully exclude, especially, I would say, especially people you actually do know from like some context. I don't know much about the rodeo world that you <laughs> have been a part of, right? But if there's rodeo people that are not Catholic, they're not homeschooler moms and they're not into, you know, uh, what was the thing you said? Organization, right? Like you could probably still be friends with them and you may have something every now and then to share yeah. that, that they're going to appreciate. Um, Mickey is the creator of the single most successful piece of social media content yep. that St. Philip Institute has ever put out that got over a million views. Yep. And it was um, a little Canva sheet on how to pray at home during COVID during when everything lockdown. was shut down, right? Yep. It was the gentlest piece of evangel- evangelical <laughs> so content awesome. we've ever put oh, out. Thanks, I mean, it, so it, it awesome. called you to do like two or three basic things and it we we just shared it once hey here's some suggestions uh you might want to try it and it went like wildfire and there have been other projects that we invested weeks of strategy into and we put (laughs) it out there and it's like oh yeah nobody nobody cares about this cool (laughs) all right dang um so you never know you know that's true but the impact you're gonna have but at the same time like Everyone was going through the same pandemic at the same time, so we knew that every, there were the same need was there for every yep. single person. 
which I think made it a little bit easier. But I also think that that's what makes it a little bit more challenging um, when you're a content creator is because you're just kind of like taking your own view of things mm-hmm. that you've learned yep. and in putting that into an audience that um, may not understand that world or they're not all living the same experience. Mm-hmm. But during the pandemic, I think that's why it went over so well because mm-hmm. everyone was experiencing like that same thing. Um, yeah, so anyway, that was so kind of you to say. I feel like I'm so rambling good. now, but oh, it was no, so no, good. No, was awesome. <laughs> we were so checking good. our stats, man. We got more hits on our Facebook page than the Augustan Institute and Catholic Answers, I think, combined <laughs> in that month. And we were like, yeah, we got 3,000 followers, and we outdid you guys. So See, that's a healthy example <laughs> of, of using the internet. <laughs> so this is this is a really helpful conversation. I think the, the last thing that just comes to mind for me is thinking about your witness, kind of going to what you were saying, Luke, and you know, you, you post pictures of your kids. People know that you're Catholic. I think the same with us. It's not like, you know, we're posting gospel reflections every day yeah. on our um, on our personal pages. But when people can see your joyful witness, mm-hmm. um, that includes your online presence. If you're constantly mm-hmm. po- posting things that incite anger or right, or how this person is the enemy or that person, or, you know, how dare they do X, Y, Z. But if you can be a joyful witness, you know, in your everyday life, including your presence online, it is shocking how God can can use that because I have also had the experience of people I didn't even remember that we were Facebook friends, mm-hmm. but we went to yeah. school together years ago, and they've reached out and said, you know, they had a question about NFP or because uh, they knew that um, you know that was something that that I was interested in, or um, just made a comment about how cute my kids are or how joyful our family look, even in the midst of a lot of chaos. So to realize like that God can use that and to be discerning and mm-hmm. and uh, being an instrument. But this episode has been a product of a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, <laughs> both in front of the camera and behind the camera. Our producer, like big shout out to Mark and Marina and Liz Slayton, like it took a group effort for us to get through this episode today. Thank y'all for your patience. Oh, but, um, so yeah, our St. Philip Institute challenge will be how many changes did you notice in this episode? How many times did we pause? How many wardrobe changes? Did you notice that a baby showed up? Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but really grateful to, to be able to have this conversation. Um, Mickey, can you tell them about the upcoming book study that we have? Yes, absolutely. Oh, and I don't have my book with me, but um, Deanna and I, um, for the next uh, three weeks, are going to be doing, um, or next three podcasts, uh, we're going to be doing the book study on Sister Josephine's Hope and Invitation, um, and we will have a link to that in the show notes. We have a reading schedule and a little reflection book, and so um, we hope that you will join us. We're very excited to... um, read this book together and to walk with you um, as we uh, explore and deepen um, our understanding of hope and how to live that out, how to be people of hope. So um, am I I missing anything? No, that'll be good. We'll have everything in the show notes, like you said. Luke, thank you so much for joining us. I love it. Luke has his own podcast, the St. Philip Institute podcast. It's for intellectuals. Um, no, it's very good. It's really, really good. I hope they're not too intellectual. I'm the host, so 
<laughs> and um, do you want to tell people about IntoTheChariot.com? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that um, I was, you know, received as sort of a goal um, is in the Constitution that Bishop Strickland wrote to sort of kick off the Institute, there's this discussion about providing online formation opportunities, for, especially for catechists, but not just for catechists in our diocese. Um, and so over, especially over the last year, I've really been putting a lot of uh, time and energy into developing um, a, a platform where people can take um, little courses. It's not super fancy, but it's it's pretty decent, um, which is a great commercial. Um, <laughs> it's intothechariot.com. Uh, there's courses. We have the Way of Christ, which actually is pretty pretty full pretty full bodied as a course. There's 26 videos, and that's in English and in Spanish now, um, which I'm really happy about. There's a course on the Eucharist uh, and the Catechism. Um, there's baptism formation prep. A course on the virtues that they're actually in. We had a podcast episode about that. Um, there are courses, uh, one already published on Vatican II, and many more sort of small courses. And a lot of these are maybe two or three videos of 20 to 30 minutes in length. There's a quiz, certificates, um, that sort of thing. So if you're interested in um, finding a little bit more out about the stuff that we've been doing or that I've been working on, um, that's a, a good place to go. And it's free because I am not a great capitalist. So I'm just <laughs> giving it away um, and spending money getting those things onto the internet. So it's only costing me a little bit of money every year and I'm not charging for it. So if you want to donate, there is a link to donate. Very I mean, good. that was pretty good. That was excellent. <laughs> and it's pretty decent. Again, remember, pretty decent. <laughs> excellent. Well, we always close these episodes in prayer. So Luke, would you close us? Sure. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we give you thanks for um, the conversation that we were able to have today and for the gift that you've given to us um, in the incarnation of Christ. Um, we've got Andre here to remind us of Christ's presence as a baby. Um, you became a baby for us, uh, and you became man for us so that we might become like gods, as St. Irenaeus says. So we give thanks for um, your presence uh, among us. We give thanks for the gift of your church, the sacraments, the Holy Spirit, and all the things that you give to us, um, sinners that we are, you died for us. And so we give thanks in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.